which means we are recording now. I thought I was going to have to choose between cloud or the computer, but I just, just started recording. It's only like twelve ninety nine a month if you want to pay for it, Paul. I I had like this cold open prepared. I'm still going to do still it. Still do that. You can edit all of this out. I, this or I could leave it in and do my like cold open. Bonus, like post-credits thing. Dude, what is a post-credit like this? Yes, this. Shut up and do your cold open. Okay. Goddamn. Now it feels silly. Oh no, I'm on fire. Oh wait. <laughs> Hello. And welcome to Conflict Theory. Today's topic is the Catholic Church. So we have our usual guest, Chloe, with us, but we actually, for the first time in Conflict Theory history, have two not regular guests. Uh, JP, who has been on the show before. Say hello, JP. Hello. And we got David. Hello. So I'll just sort of introduce the topic But I think what's interesting about like the Catholic Church, speaking about it today, is that I'm speaking in what is essentially a Catholic theocracy. Like the United States has become very Catholic as of late. Joe Biden, second, but is the president is Catholic. Nancy Pelosi, leader of the House, is Catholic. The Supreme Court, six or seven, a big majority of Supreme Court members are Catholic. We see that in the Congress, 30% of representatives are all Catholic. And it's not because we're just a super Catholic country voting in super Catholic politicians. We're only 20% Catholic as a country. But when it comes to choosing leadership in this country, we have a strange bias that seems to be coming stronger as of late. The Catholic Church in general, though, is very big. It is the largest Christian church, and it is the largest international institution. It is also the oldest international institution. Throughout history, it's kind of the the biggest deal there is. So, And the, the cast are even giving me flack for making this topic so broad, because the fact is, if you want to talk about anything that's ever happened, like the Catholic Church was probably there and that includes things as big as capitalism and western society in general western society is molded in the image of the catholic church philosophy uh religion obviously religion but economics morality structures like everything has been influenced by or directly molded by this church but i feel like we don't talk about that very much. So that's why I wanted to do this episode. We might have to do another episode to go deeper into one of these specific things, but good precursor look at what the Catholic Church in our society. I want to pose one major thing that I wanted to talk about, and that is sort of the rhetoric that not all religion, but the Catholic Church relies on specifically, because it is kind of unique to religions we don't think of it as unique because that's the main thing we think about with it's the main thing we think about religions now but this sort of specific argument that you are damned you are going to hell unless you join this church unless you accept jesus christ into your heart this rhetoric 
eternal damnation or religion. Those are the choices. Now, like we can look to like Buddhism and some paganism. And that's, that's not how every religion works. It's kind of unique. But this specific rhetoric that the Catholic Church uses really propagated its growth. It created evangelization, essentially, that everything from World Youth Day to the Crusades necessary to save people from eternal damnation. It's a very strong argument to get people to spread this idea. Capitalism works in a similar sort of way, like the way it propagates and has to sell itself. But we even see this mechanism being used in sort of good ways, like in Alcoholics Anonymous, where you are alcoholic, doesn't matter what you say right now, you are alcoholic. The first step is acceptance, but there's nothing you can do about the truth. You're already damned. So this powerful rhetoric is what leads to a lot of conflict all over the world, all throughout history. And I think that's interesting and worth talking about. But to bring it into some other issues of the Catholic Church, I just kind of wanted to rattle off a pro-con list before I give it over to panelists. And like there are also, there's a lot of pros of the Catholic Church. They have hospitals and they provide many services. They contribute a lot to charity and poverty alleviation. They have really progressive views on things like the environment, on fighting climate change. They're against bad things like the death penalty and war. Uh, recently, they started their own reparations. Like, yeah, that means they had slaves in America. But the idea that they're the first large organization to consider reparations before any state, local, or federal government, like, this is it's kind of a woke church in that sense. But the con list and it's not nothing nothing on this list is worth ignoring but within the structures of the church itself like women are just completely excluded from significant power they can't become priests or they don't get any voting and that's influential and bad obviously it's very anti gay they even doubled down on that recently, saying they will not bless gay unions. But specifically, they're just anti-sex always in general forever, unless it meets one very, very specific criterion. But even if you're married to someone of the opposite sex, they're still against contraception and any form of sodomy within that relationship it's just a very sexually repressive organization which makes them a bit of hypocrites especially when you look at how they handle their own sexual scandals which have been significant and just doesn't really seem to be getting better we just see more scandals being unleashed more cover-ups more moving uh, priests around so that's this is our church this is our topic and I don't know what our panel's going to bring for us today, but I'm going to ask Chloe. Can I ask Chloe to go first? It's always me. Why is it always me? Because you're the actual member of the podcast. Your name is in every credit. You came up with the name of the show. 
Conflict theory was your idea. All right. Um, I guess I will go first then. So when talking about the Catholic Church, I think one of the things that brings unique interest to it, especially as we look at it from modern day, where religion, while still being very heavily a part of almost everyone's life, also is very specifically part of their life. Increasingly, we live in ways that are considered very compartmentalized. We have our spiritual side, our emotional side, our romantic side, our physical side, our professional side, our casual side. In many ways, um, we find ourselves basically sectioning off different parts of our lives. The Catholic Church is interesting because it attempts to be more holistic and all-encompassing, both in the way it treats its members, but both in the way it treats itself. And it does this in two ways. One, unlike many more what we might think of as modern or progressive versions of the Christian faith, it has a heavy emphasis not on the individual, on you finding your own ways to worship, but through tradition and hierarchy, through specifically finding ways in which the Catholic Church itself prescribes worship and controls worship, very heavy focus on ceremony. In fact, the Catholic Church was one of the last uh, of the major religions to end the practice of exclusively giving uh, mass in Latin, that only happening in the last century. But it goes beyond that. It actually goes into the way that the Catholic Church treats itself. Specifically, the Catholic Church and many of their controversies become so hard to divorce from one another because unlike an institution like, say, Lutheranism, which I'll use as an example because it is almost, it is equally popular in the United States and was birthed directly in opposition to the Catholic Church. Whereas in Lutheranism, you find a heavy emphasis on uh, decentralization. Now, there are ecumenical bodies such as the ELCA that help administer and certify what you might think of as official, quote unquote, Lutheran churches. For large in a way, though they look to that group for funding and occasionally for guidance, any given Lutheran church you walk into in the United States might have more doctrinally, educationally, and in practice in common with its local area. A church in Colorado and a church in Florida might have more difference than you'd think, even though they're both Lutheran, because one is very influenced by what's popular in Colorado and one's very influenced what's popular with Florida. This is in contrast to how the Catholic Church has always operated, where their governing body, the government of the church, specifically the papacy and the uh, the papacy and the structure all the way down therein being non-divorceable from the way in which the religion is practiced. Though individuals practice Catholicism, individuals do not administer mass and individuals do not worship usually in solitary or in family-based environments. Rather, there is an expectation that all edicts, all spiritual fulfillment does come from Mother Church, which makes it so that when a large power structure, as they so often are wont to do, reveals itself to be corrupt or perhaps a little bit backwards or maybe just not very good at public relations and marketing. It can have ramifications not just on how that body operates, but on the entire faith in and of itself because those two things are so intertwined. The modern Catholic Church, especially the current papacy of, the, of Pope Francis, is largely defined by the not too distant scandals of the late 90s to early 2000s uh, of sexual abuse uh, of several bishops, uh, as well as priests all throughout the organization under the previous papacy, uh, the abuse of young men, especially 
Uh, and the Catholic Church response to that, which was essentially several decades of cover-up, several decades of misdirection, and what is seen by many, both of the faithful and the faithless, as a lack of moral authority, a loss on the part of the Catholic Church of the moral high ground, the ability to issue these edicts from on high. And when, again, you have the governing bodies so linked to the religion of itself, if the governing body loses its moral authority, loses its value to the faith, then the faith itself is what begins losing value. This is why recently, the topic that probably brought this up towards us today, when the current papacy, which has been largely lauded for being fairly progressive and revisionist and reforming of the previous papacy's sexual scandals and very conservative value set, um, set the creed that they would no longer, or they could not find a way is how they put it, to certify uh, same-sex marriages, the response was, among all people, including Catholics, by a vast majority, of <laughs> a big shrug, a, well, of course you wouldn't think that, a dismissive uh, air. Basically, the Catholic Church, as I see it now, is a tremendously funny but actually very sad joke something that even those friends of mine in my life that would consider themselves Catholic have to look at as a mark of shame to be overcome or as a place that they started in, but then later were luckily able to grow beyond. Mother Church doesn't have the authority that she once did, and like most dying animals, we often see that same being lashing out, as we have recently. Wow. Chloe, that was just so thoughtful i mean i'm just over here thinking myself like hashtag the pope hates blowjobs um <laughs> no and so so i think that um everyone else here also grew up catholic david gave a little wave no I, I was raised really catholic i was almost a seminarian and and so i think by and large uh looking at, at catholicism today sort of as the oldest christian denomination and truly the one most closely linked to Judaism even now in terms of a lot of the practices. I mean, uh, the Protestant reform got rid of like seven books out of the old Testament because they were a little too Jewish for uh, Martin, the anti-Semite Luther during the, during the Protestant uh, reformation. And, and so I think I recognize among Catholics, though they comprise, you know, a, a much broader number of nationalities and ethnic groups than Judaism sort of this thing where Catholicism is like part of your cultural history, but that's it. Like you're not really practicing it. I think a lot of Catholics go that way. And I think for modern practicing Catholics, it's becoming increasingly difficult to reconcile their faith with living in a multicultural world. And it kind of, to me, this whole move looks like Pope Francis came out and said, you know, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all God's children. Uh, let them have civil unions. That's cool. So basically, like, I recognize your humanity. Fast forward, you know, what has it been, about four months here? It's like, well, we recognize you. We still don't respect you. <laughs> and and so that, that does complicate things in terms of, of what it even means to be Catholic. Um, I mean, more broadly, what it means to be Catholic in terms of, oh, I, it was a thing I did growing up, uh, to also being still still a practicing Catholic, you know, in, in an increasingly progressive and and multicultural world. And, and I think, you know, largely to Chloe's point, um, concerning the church sort of as a moral authority, since when? I mean, you mean to tell me that 
the you know the same Vatican that basically accepted bribes to magically forgive people's sins, that sanctioned the wholesale torture and, and slaughter of Sephardic Jews in Spain, uh, that led a crusade. Ironically, you know, Paul, you brought up the crusade, like, oh, we got to save people from the fires of hell. Oh, uh, we sort of murdered all these heathens before we could baptize them. Never mind. Um, and and that more more recently uh, has has been plagued by numerous sex scandals and even elected a fucking Nazi to the papacy. Let's not forget that he's still alive somewhere hidden away. They stashed him and he's that old guy guarding the tomb in Indiana Jones, waiting for someone to take over his job. He's still out there. And it's, Oh, what a great redemption arc. He was a Nazi and now he's the Pope. Like operation paperclip on the Vatican scale. Jesus, Mary and Joseph, father, son, Holy ghost. Um, I think I think that's a good jumping off point for me. Honestly, <laughs> Just, there's a lot there's a lot going on there. You get two thousand years of history to look at, and and it just kind of seems like there's a lot of things have tarnished it. And it's being Catholic in the postmodern world. I I personally couldn't reconcile myself to it. That's that's part of the reason why I don't practice anymore. So yeah. So I think it would be best to talk about like to split the issues up. So first there's the general issue of the the general issue of um, Catholic guilt that was mentioned by Paul at the beginning. And I think that that's a good issue, but I think it goes further than just Catholicism. I think the issue of Catholic guilt is actually uniquely linked to the mind-body problem that appears within all religions, specifically all Western religions, the splitting of the soul and the body. As soon as you create the idea of an immortal soul, an infinite thing that goes on, you create a bifurcation, a separation between the valuable, infinite, or immortal soul and the less valuable mortal body. In every single religion that does this, we see a creation of stipulations that the mortal soul matters more than the physical body. In other words, any religious or spiritual belief which holds as a fundamental tenet of its existence that there is a spiritual body that will always exist has at that moment decided that the mortal bodies of any person does not matter in the face of that infinite soul. Uh, so I think that that's an issue that exists within all religions that P Paul kind of links to Catholicism and finds a unique expression in Catholic guilt and the way in which Catholicism has throughout the centuries mobilized uh, guilt um, in order to bring people under its sway. Uh, some good examples of that would be any colonial state um, that the Catholics came into contact with. Okay, um, next, uh, child sexual abuse. So of course we have to, like, we, we kind of like touched on the issue of sexual abuse in the Catholic church. You kind of have to touch on the issue um, of sexual abuse. You can't really avoid it. But I think we do come to the, the fundamental representation uh, when we hear the church, I think it was just last year, um, saying, okay, fine, it is your responsibility to tell civil authorities when abuse has occurred in the church. Wait a minute. So it took till last year for the church decide, to decide that it was an official statement of their position that you have to tell civil or criminal authorities when you abuse a child within that institution. This seems like a long-standing um, problem, right? When we get to the point where, where the cover-up is so the idea of covering up abuse is so fundamental to the institution that you don't even inform authorities that it has occurred. And we have to openly state that you should probably do that as a 
matter of doctrine um, in order to get people to do it. Of course, you have, you know, Cardinal Pell, who just had his um, issues quashed in Australia last year. Um, we have Cardinal Nichols in, in uh, what was that? That was Wales, right? Wales um, in, in England. Um, we have the Boston um, affairs in the early 2000s, um, all sorts of different issues. And then just in, 2000, in 2020, last year, we, we got a um, um, some really good investigative journalism coming from places like the Houston Chronicle saying that at least 50, sometimes maybe even more, uh, credibly accused priests were transferred out of the United States, out of the country, um, after having been accused, uh, you, you know. Um, okay, I, I need to move on because it looks like we have less than a minute. I also think we need to talk about the past of the Catholic Church. The fact that the Catholic Church, the Vatican, was the first institution to form a treaty with the Nazi state and give them legitimization. That has to be discussed, and it is being discussed because the Catholic Church has, well, has fortunately been forced to open up an investigation into it. And finally, I think we need to discuss the fact that up until 1960, I think it was three, it was the official position of the Catholic Church that the Jews killed Christ. If you don't think that that in some way influenced pogroms across Europe, if you don't think that that in some way influenced the violence and aggression caused towards uh, Semitic communities in Europe, then, you know, you're just not paying attention. Um, so I think that that's a good uh, overview. I have a lot more to talk about, but um, we'll get there. Yeah. All right. So thank you, everyone. If you're enjoying the music that you're listening to in this episode, this is Mr. Atomic, a local Denver band. So please check them out in the description. Did anyone else have something they needed to plug this episode? Support your sex workers, especially if they're Catholic. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. Let's let's throw that one out there, especially after the, the brutal murder of those sex workers in Georgia. Unfucking acceptable. For your local sex workers. All right, welcome back. My theory was good. I think we have some good jumping off conversation points based on those very poorly directed stump speeches. Poorly directed by me, that is. They, they all did great. But the first thing I want to do is I want to talk about specifically David's point a little bit because we cut his speech a little short. Uh, so we'll give him a chance to expand a little bit here. But he, he dedicates some of his time to like just the past of the Catholic Church, which I don't really know if this is fair. And uh, David, I want you to defend it. This is my counter argument to that's not fair or saying that's not fair in that. Is it really the same church as it was a hundred years ago? Like, yeah, it still has the same name, but all the people who did the things you're talking about are dead. Well, except the Pope. He's, he's still, the, I guess the Nazi Pope is still around. But for the most part, Crusades and Nazi allies are dead. And like, and their role like in World War II was like really complicated like they were the first organization to really denounce the Nazi regime. They did like end up protecting a hundred thousand Jews. They worked with the U.S. military to try and defeat the Nazis. Like they they did a lot that would make you think that they were on the other side of that issue. I think Hitler even had a plan to kidnap the Pope because the Catholic Church was working uh, against them so much. But 
like that's just that example and i hate world war ii examples but just more generally speaking like from the crusades which we know was a bad uh to their use in war like today now they're against every major conflict they're an anti-war organization so i guess i just want you to respond to that and i know this will go for a while (laughs) okay i'll try and organize it and not and not make it to you i mean i think everyone will have something to say on this okay okay so i'm gonna do an unfair thing and take your analogy and compare it to something that your audience will if whoever they are will hopefully find ludicrous so the the argument it's not fair to compare the catholic church of now to the catholic church of the past strikes me as relatively similar to people who say it's not fair to compare say the people who wave confederate flags now to the people who waved confederate flags in the past uh or other similar um analogies maybe if we want to keep it in the spanish civil war we we, we talk about how uh people who support um what was uh franco's regime um now uh, are viewed as sometimes as patriots. Um, I, in response to this argument that they're not the same, I say, then what are they? Like, I think this is true in every single circumstance. Like, for example, people make this response to me when I say, maybe we're responsible for some of the things we did to South America. They're like, well, we're not the same country. We're not the same people. We didn't vote for that. Like, I'm not um, Kissinger. So why am I responsible for what Kissinger decided to, to do? And the answer is, if you are not the country you were in the past, then what are you fucking doing? Like, you don't get to claim we are the United States. We are made up of this history. We are representative of this history. This history gives us power. Oh, we did a terrible thing back then? Oh, that's not the same. We're not. There's no. mm -mm. Basically, if you're going to break off the line of creation that exists within, like, democratic voting, for example, in the United States, we vote. We think that we have control. So we think we create the future in our country. That's, like, the entire basis of the philosophical idea here. Um, Then you can't say we do that and then immediately turn around and say, well, when it has a bad result, it's not our fault. We're not the same people. So I think that my response there is that there's a, let me connect it to the Catholic Church, but that there's a philosophical disconnect when you try and say, suddenly I'm not the same person. Because the idea of an institution like a country or like the church is that it draws its legitimization from its historical connectivity, from the fact that it is the same institution from past to present, and to actually give it a connection to the church and to just use some Catholic doctrine for it. I am the, this is the rock upon which I build my church. Like the church literally draws its, its idea of power for the Pope as the one person who can interpret scripture infallibly because of his connection with God, it literally draws that current capacity from its past. So we can't allow the church to argue we are not the same as we were in the past because it is precisely by making that argument that it gains any of what it is. If it weren't for being what it was in the past, it would be nothing at all. Um, go ahead. It's also yeah, yeah. a bad faith argument because look at what changes they actually made. Like if we're talking about like the Vatican II Reformation Council, right? Like, and we're just saying that, oh, well, we decided to no longer be the Nazi Catholic Church. You still support all of the things that the Nazis liked, right? The subjugation of people who have alternative or queer lifestyles, the insistence that the um, people who are not of the Catholic faith, who are not, and specifically the kind of Catholic faith worshipped by largely white European or European descended peoples, like all the things that made you the Nazi Catholic Church, they still implicitly support. They just changed cosmetic things. We don't do mass in Latin anymore. Now we're allowing 
you know, occasionally for you to call some things by different titles, but the content didn't change. Just because, you know, Guns N' Roses lost Axl Rose and decided to rebrand itself as a new band, but they're still playing Guns N' Roses songs and just call them Guns N' Roses, you know? Like at the end of the day, it's just a rebranding. It's not actually a substantial change. So even if you could divorce them from their past and say this is, you know, Catholicism 2, the sequel, we're not beholden to everything else, it's still kind of the same bones. I can make it topical for you. We just released the Snyder Cut of Justice League, right? Where it's now a much more comprehensive package. It's more true to the original vision. It's entirely a different film that just happens to be made of all the same shots with largely the same message. Some people like it a lot more. It's certainly more flavorful. It's more fun to experience. But is it saying anything different? No, not at all. It's a similar script with the same actors and the same shots, just rearranged slightly differently to convince you to buy the same product a second time. So too, the Vatican II Council, what, as it's colloquially referred to as, was just rearranging the shots and taking the actors already cast and putting them in slightly different positions that you'll buy the same product the second time. Okay, and I don't want to be a moving target, but I, I accept like both, like what you two are both saying. But we can see that the church has changed. Like in the Jesuit time, when they first started coming over to the U.S., they used slaves to build Georgetown, a great institution. But now they've dedicated $100 million in reparations. And like, sure, they did the bad, but they also have done a lot or they're doing a lot of good, some of it explicitly to make up for some of the bad things that they have done. Yeah, so that was that was where I was going to go after this mm. this not the same people thing. So I do think that you have a fair point there, and I'm not uh, like <laughs> again the topic wasn't like Catholic Church, and I'm just oh the Catholic Church sucks. It's just overwhelmingly I disapprove um, of what they do, but we, we can't deny that they are there are good people doing good things, and I think to a large extent everyone here appears to be left leaning. So like if I were actually trying to make an argument that was trying to force people to like morally agree with my side, my response would be okay, you don't blame all Muslims when one asshole decides to interpret certain sections of a particular religious text in a particular way um, and go blow themselves up. But we don't turn around and say that the mosque on the corner is evil. And if we do, we call that person uh, a xenophobe, right? So um, so I think the same thing has to be said of Catholics. And, and in that context, we have to admit that the Catholic church in general, in the past doing bad things, and even in the present doing bad things, many of the people they have most hurt through that have been Catholics themselves, um, rather like many of the victims of Muslim terrorism have been Muslims themselves. And so I think you're right to point out that they, they've they changed in some ways and that they do do good things, that the repar the reparations thing is interesting. I think that has room for more discussion, um, but that there are individuals who are doing a good job and are actually trying is completely fair. That was my only response there. Oh, yeah, well I, I, well, I think to a certain extent, uh, when it comes down to like, the Catholic Church, as an as an organization, um, under the uh, you know ostensibly like that's what they're about is doing good things, and but it's also it's an incredibly large organization. So just as a as a raw numbers game, you're going to find people who interpret Catholicism in such a way that they use it in, in a benevolent fashion, that they they feel a sense of duty to act benevolently and to do good things for poor people, 
And I think the question is, is whether that is built in to the dogma of the church and the spirit of Vatican law to encourage that benevolence, uh, or if it's just kind of a nice PR thing, like, oh, look at all these great things that all these Catholics are doing. Well, when you have, you know, however many, what is it, over a billion, I think, um, people practicing within the church, well, go figure some of them are going to be fucking awesome. And granted, some of them are also going to be really, really evil, like the sort of person who pursues a position of power for the express purposes of abusing children, which, uh, to circle back to that briefly, it's actually really funny because we touched briefly on... Um, We'll actually get to that. We'll, 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 we'll touch base on that again when we start talking more about recent events regarding things like the church's stance on, on gay civil unions. Oh, I'm uh, really excited to see how you turn that funny. Well, I mean, it's, 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 all, it's funny in a sad way. It's all funny in a sad oh, okay. way when, when we're discussing topics like this. Others probably. Um, I, think that, I think that this tangent you're getting on, Paul, though, about like how like, oh, well, they do all these good things now is kind of inherently made in bad faith, honestly. Um, this idea that, oh, well, this per- this entity is very abusive and oppressive. But at what point is it just, has it been enough time that we can let the past be the past and forge this new future? Is like inherently advantage to whoever the abuser or oppressor is in that scenario, right? Like it's the Mel Gibson argument. It's, this guy's clearly a tremendous racist, an awful person, has definitely committed several crimes. But that was five years ago. He, he could have changed for all we know. No, 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 no. He's just a, an alchemically animated pile of shit. Just yeah, exactly. Right? So one, just because time has passed, it doesn't change any of the things that were done in that name. Like the symbol actually, as David told you earlier, the symbol keeps the meaning. You still don't get to wear a Nazi flag now, even though it's been like 60 years. It's, it's still a Nazi flag. It stands for the things that they stood for. Right? You don't get to just upshoe the history of your brand while keeping its identity. That's one. But two, like, what are you actually doing for me now? You say that they have hospitals. Okay, cool. But gay men can't go to those hospitals. They work on blood transfusion programs, except for if you are of an alternative lifestyle, they assume that you carry HIV based on outdated stigma from the 70s, and they disallow you from donating or contributing to those programs. Like, even if we accept this that inherently bad argument that uh, if time passes, hate crimes are no longer hate crimes because they're older. Even if we accepted that, they're still doing the thing now. It hasn't really changed. It's just gotten either quieter or has been more distracted by, as JP says, like these PR moves, right? Like Pope Francis and his uh, PR tour that he's been going on of, you know, meeting uh, former President Barack Obama and taking time to like hang out with groups that historically the Catholic uh, papacy hasn't spent time really associating themselves with for the purposes of like photo ops. It's great optics. It's decent marketing. It's better marketing than the Vatican usually does. Usually it does stuff like, I don't know, in the year 2021, say that same-sex unions are somehow unlawful under God. Usually that's the kind of PR bullshit that they like to stick themselves in the face with and get roasted for. Like, yeah, Pope Francis has been slightly better than his predecessor at marketing, but the kind has not changed. It's just the things that they're saying in service of it. Like Princess Diana is still a part of the royal family. It doesn't mean that the royal family aren't those people, you know, the one, the colonizers, right? Like it hasn't actually changed what the people are. It's just a new shiny coat of paint on it. And I don't think that accepting the shiny coat of paint is like a reasonable way to interact with something like religion that you are by interacting with, allowing to become like a core part of your being, right? Like how we interpret our spirituality or religion is a core part of how we 
interpret our own identity. And if you are willing to accept that a fresh coat of paint is enough for you to take something with this history and with this current day practice and build it into yourself, then I think that you were probably already in favor of all of those things anyway, or you haven't read very critically. And most people in the internet age are able to read beyond the surface level and look at the sick dunks on how bad the Catholic Church is at really everything. That is one point I actually disagree with you on. In the internet age, I, most people that just say, oh, look at this meme I found. It is now my identity. I am... <laughs> Or at least enough people to be a fucking nuisance, but that's kind of neither I mean, here nor there. People are smarter than they are now. I'm saying that people are more easily. We have access to, to the, yeah. We no longer need the spotlight department to expose to us what the Catholic Church is doing in Boston. We all know now, and we all know as soon as it happens. Right, right. The information is disseminated much more quickly. And I think one interesting thing that, that kind of came to mind for me in the midst of all this and discussing the history and sort of like, are we who we are? now um compared to then in it and the the passage of time is this is a really really crude analysis and um i have i have zero anything like in in anthropology and religious studies in terms of exploring sort of the cultural evolution of a religion but it's my general impression um and at least of the uh, abrahamic religions in particular that almost like throwing a tantrum and destroying a bunch of people who disagree with you is sort of like part of the natural growth curve for some religions. Um, I mean, even if you, you know, read, read the, the, the Christian Bible, you read the Torah and you look back, there's a whole section that's just dedicated to like, Israel was promised the promised land. And now there's other people here. Let's fucking destroy them. And, and similarly, in similar fashion, we saw the crusades and, and that was about five, 600 years ago. Now Islam is about 506 years younger than Catholicism and in the course of the last few decades, we have seen massive opticks in, in Islamic radicalism. So it kind of begs the question of whether uh, atrocities are just part of the natural maturation curve of a religion. And like, at what point do we go, okay, they've outgrown that phase and, and can kind of not be shitty anymore. I well, think it's kind yeah. of difficult there. Uh, sorry, David, but no, it's kind of difficult there because looking at the Catholic church as a religion is accurate. But when we're looking at things like the crusades, it wasn't a religion. It was the state. It was the religion. It was the culture. It was the people like it encompassed everything. So just saying like, Oh, it's Catholic. It's bad, but that's not what it's not anything anymore. It's not that kind of a state anymore. You're saying that the, difference between then and now is that now we don't allow Catholicism to have as much control over our lives? Like, how is that mutually exclusive with us saying the parts of Catholicism that do control our lives are where the problem's coming from, right? Like, Paul, you're saying that it wasn't just the religion, it was the state around it and the people around it. And like, yeah, the the state and the people in that time period were directly following the edicts of the Catholic Church. Now we ignore them more. It hasn't changed what they're saying, we just don't listen. And it, has, it hasn't changed the influence that the church has had on, on Western civilization as a whole, as you mentioned. I mean, uh, the, the canonization of the Christian scripture was carried out under the Vatican and, and, and largely with guidance from the Roman Empire to essentially consolidate their own political power. And and that's that's where we're coming from. I mean, there's a bunch of great, like, total, like, aside, read the Bible. It's full of awesome shit that people have been turned off from. There's, like, a dude beats a bunch of guys to death with a donkey's jawbone 
and like an old man outrunning a 12 horse chariot to the city gates after killing a bunch of heathen prophets on a mountain. It's there's crazy shit in there, but um, there's a bunch of shit that just got lost to the ages. Um, and, and so looking again back at that history, the, the sum total, not strictly of Catholicism, but of Christendom as a whole and its influence on Western civilization is rooted on power grabbing in the first place. That's fair. And that's, Let's go there next, but I, w- I want to throw one more thing in and then bring in David. I'm just saying, like, what you're saying the Catholic Church did when we're talking about times when they were everything. It's just if anything bad happened in that time, you could point to the Catholic Church. But it's just a smaller institution relatively today. That's like saying, oh, Krispy Kreme is better than America. Because America does war and Krispy Kreme does not. Like, it's, they're just fundamentally I'm actually, I totally stand by that. <laughs> Krispy Kreme is fucking awesome. Like, Krispy Kreme <laughs> might have done war if they had the ability. But, David, did, did you want to chime in? I was going to touch on... It was something that was going to be another point of... I, I almost called it positive matter. I guess that's not <laughs> what we're doing here. But no. uh, it was going to be another one of my points in my, my constructive uh, earlier uh, was was about how every positive behavior is non-unique to Catholicism. And I, I think that that's a general argument, which is one of the reasons I hesitated to mention it. It's not like this isn't a unique argument to Catholicism. This is a religion general argument, right? It's that every positive behavior that has been done by that institution did not necessitate the existence of that institution to imagine it. Like, that doesn't mean that you didn't necessitate their, you know, institutional power, their resources, their collective will, um, their collective fear of being hated by the world, which forms a will to do something about a problem. You know, they, every, every basically, you cannot imagine a single thing that a re, that is good, that a religious person can do, that I as a non-religious person cannot do. But I can re- imagine plenty of reasons I can go to I heaven, David. I can go to heaven. Thing. Yeah, yeah. But that, that's what I mean. Is like yeah. that that re, like I could do any of the same things that you're doing to go to heaven. Not to go to heaven. And it would be just as good. But the fact that you are killing me so that you can go to heaven makes it substantially worse than you killing me because I threatened you. Like there's a huge difference there. Like the point is that religion only forms a modifier that is unique when someone is doing something bad. You can do things that I, as a secular person, would never do for religious reasons, and they are bad. But there is no good thing that a religious person can do because they're religious that I, as a non-religious person, can not do. Um, And I would encourage someone, I mean, it's like kind of a general challenge. I would encourage someone to name one, and I don't think it's possible. And so that, like, as a general response then, any good thing you can point out that the Catholic Church did the argument is that in the long run, humans probably would have cared enough about each other to do that thing anyway. And it wasn't the Catholic Church's existence that was the fundamental catalyst to causing those good things. Unless your example is like, they're giving reparations for harms that they did. But you know, now you've just created like a self, like an enclosed cycle of they created the harm, <laughs> they did the good. And now you're like broken window fallacying yourself into hurting people so you can help them. Uh, <laughs> Okay. Hey, that goes that goes a long way in terms of PR. No, but I think I think that's interesting that you brought that up uh, because it, it's what I'm hearing in in that is sort of like a a scalability issue, right? So having having a large institution uh, that carries a lot of weight and wields a lot of power, but by definition, then any any harm that they do and any 
good that they do is going to correlate to the scale of their size and power. So, you know, when the Catholic Church decides, like, oh, we don't, we don't want um, the incursion of, of predominantly Islamic countries into Europe and takes a stand against them and murders a bunch of people and lets a bunch of children wander in the middle of the desert and fucking starve, that's really, really bad. Uh, as opposed to, like, if just one idiot parent lets their kids wander into the woods and starve. Um, by comparison, like, you or I could maybe spend a, a weekend here or there volunteering at a soup kitchen and doing something good. And but the Catholic Church, because of its institutional power, can run thousands of soup kitchens and create a community where that behavior is reinforced. But you don't need God telling you to do that. It could be any community, like what you were uh, saying, David. Uh, I, I want to move on to another uh, big question, and that is. This sort of comes from what Chloe and JP were saying. JP kind of calls it like the postmodern era. Chloe kind of says the lack of moral authority, both kind of coming down to like hashtag Catholic church is over. But I'm like, obviously I very much doubt that because of like just the very first things I was talking about, especially in the United States with Biden, the Supreme Court, and the House all being run by Catholics. Now, the faith, God is dead. Maybe that's true. The faith is gone. But as an institution, is the Catholic Church still just as powerful? Is the Catholic Church still just as powerful? I think I would contend that as an institution, the Catholic Church does not hold public sway by and large um, to the same extent that it did historically. You don't have the Pope uh, blessing people's governments in order to establish the right to rule in the first place. Um, I mean, that was, that was the big Anglican split, right? Henry VIII wanted a divorce. The Pope said no. He said, fuck the Pope. Um, and that was a tradition through 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 much of Europe that that essentially the the, the pontiff um, held sway over the coronation of of the executives of of other independent sovereign entities, which they don't have today. Um, I think that uh, anti-Catholic sentiment among prevalent uh, Protestant denominations, particularly in the U.S., and they've also expanded outreach in various. Um, other countries, particularly on the African continent, uh, stand to put uh, the, their, how to phrase this, there are other sects kind of uh, gaining more traction in terms of the spiritual market share, which is diminishing the church's power and prevalence. Yeah. Again, I mean, it's, well, sorry, Chloe. Um, but again, it comes down to like, does that change the overall influence in shaping Western civilization the Catholic Church had? Absolutely not. Those other sects wouldn't exist without the Catholic Church. But as a modern institution, the Catholic Church is nowhere near as, as powerful as it was 50, uh, let alone, you know, four or 500 years ago. And when we talk about that, it's really like in modernity, it's just a squandering of political capital that the Catholic Church has had to deal with, right? So like you mentioned that there are Catholics in prominent spots of the U.S. government. I think specifically you mentioned Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden. 
but neither of them sought a papal endorsement when they were running for office, and neither of them positioned their issues as specifically trying to gain the Catholic vote. They do gain the Catholic vote, but by targeting the greater evangelical Christian or more conservative Christian bloc with issues like being opposed to abortion or, you know, wanting to kill me and other queer people like that. Those are the issues that really get all conservative Christians going. And the Catholics are, but a, a name amongst that hat of many, many bigots. Right. So I think that in terms of like, when you compare say Joe Biden running as a Catholic in 20, um, 2020 to, uh, John F. Kennedy running as the first Catholic to be properly elected in the 60s, the difference between how important their Catholicism was to their political candidacy and political capital is absolutely night and day. It was an issue that defined a large part of JFK's presidency and helped color a lot of his failures in the national conversation, whereas Joe Biden, most people don't know, is Catholic. In fact, the Gallup did a poll when asked if what Joe Biden's religion was, 78% 78% just said Christian, and only the remaining uh, you know, 22% were able to parse was even Catholic, and not even all of them were right. right? Frankly, so, that I mean, was news not, to me as well. Just yeah, like it's, just not, it's just not a like, major part of his political identity in the way it might have been in eras past. And I think I think that's interesting that, that you bring that up by, by way of um, the political capital behind uh, being Catholic. Because by comparison, at least has been my my general uh, perception experience of various candidates running when they are belonging to a more sort of uh, charismatic denomination, evangelical, Pentecostal, Baptist uh, in particular, that that's actually a big part of their political identity. That's a big part of the way that they do things. And I think that that does speak to uh, public perceptions about Catholicism specifically that that's not seen as a giant plus and it doesn't have to be something that's put out there in order to bolster your numbers at the polls. I just kind of like imagine like just looking at like just how Catholic the government is right now. And I totally take all your points that it's not, maybe not as important. It's not a coincidence. Before you get into this, I will say in your defense, Paul, there, it, it is a little bit more prevalent on the right wing of American politics than the left wing. There are two presidential candidates in recent memory who attempted to run on their Catholicism as a major tentpole of their political identity. In 2016, Marco Rubio um, very strongly tried to wedge his Catholicism as an opposition to the then nominee Trump's amoral religious views, I suppose. Uh, but obviously it didn't work, and that's why you didn't see anyone try it again later, right? Oh, and worshiping then that, um, news, just yeah. so we're clear. <laughs> Yeah, whatever there. Um, and then before that, uh, Rick Santorum in the 2012 uh, election cycle was the last person to really get like a lot of national media attention because Santorum because he sits in his fucking basement whipping himself before a fucking yeah. portrait of the Virgin. That's what it was. It, that, well, yeah, it was he has one of the no identity beyond his Catholicism. Don't get me fucking started on Rick Santorum. fucking self-flagellating Santorum, please. Well, and, and between those two examples, you can kind of see the evolution of Catholicism as like an idea in political capital, right? So like both of those two candidates had a similar portion of the Republican nomination that they were able to lock up before dropping out. They were similar failures. Um, but Rick Santorum decided that he could use Catholicism as like, this is what I am. If you want to vote for the Catholic candidate, you choose me. Whereas Marco Rubio, though he was also the Catholic candidate, had to additionally be like, yeah, I'm the Catholic candidate, but I'm also from Florida and that's pretty important. And I'm a pretty sane, like normal middle of the road politician. Now you see how Catholicism is no longer 
abnormal that is now apparently being the normal same middle of the road identity can encompass Catholicism. You can see this kind of dissolution of Catholicism's uniqueness as political capital happening in real time between these election cycles. David, we haven't heard from you in a minute. Do you want to chime in here? Even if it's just yeah. to say how funny it is, how much I hate Rick Santorum. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> okay. Okay, I like this. Um, okay, I, I have... Okay, this is an idea that I've been thinking about for a little while, and it has to do with the, the kind of... Disso- and I like the way that it's been phrased so far throughout the discussion as the dissolution of political capital um, that, that resides within your position, your identitarian position as a Catholic um, in a political system. And I think you're right that, for example, comparing past to present JFK to Biden, we do have an example of it being substantially more important in the past. Then comparing present to present, Protestants to Catholics, um, you again see the 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 aggressive marketing of Protestant identities, uh, especially in comparison to Catholicism. Then, and I think Chloe summarizes it well when she says we're we're looking at a dissolution of that political capital. Here's a thought. I wonder if it is true to say that the dissolution of that capital means that the power of the church is gone. And this this kind of involves taking a more expansive view of what the church is than just its institutional identity. And it kind of involves taking a historical view of what the church thinks of itself as. So the church thinks of itself as the intellectual, philosophical, and historical descendant of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire did not die. It became Byzantium and eventually became the Catholic Church, is kind of the, the historical trend uh, of thought. And, and something interesting I've been thinking about with Catholicism in connection to Roman tradition, in connection to Greek tradition, is that tradition as an idea didn't really exist until the Romans came along and consciously decided that it was an idea. The power that the Greeks had in Roman thought was put there by the Romans. The Greeks would not have thought about what past Greeks thought and said, ah, this is our political heritage. They wouldn't have. Rome did that. And when and Rome, I'm sorry to interrupt, but like caveat, there's like at least in Western society. I mean, at least in Western society. Fair hemisphere that like that has has shit going way back. Fair enough. And I, I do think something has to be said here. Um, okay, I'm going to just go off on a tangent there. You're right. It absolutely is Western society. But frankly, someone kept records and someone chose not to keep records. And fuck the people who didn't keep records turning around and saying, how dare you not talk about our history? Like, think about the Persian Empire. Fascinating fucking empire. The only thing we know about it is when it comes into contact with, with Greece. The That's only fair. Thing we That's fucking a fair know assessment. About it. They could have kept the records. They could have told us what they did in Asia. I would love to fucking know what Persia was doing in Asia. I would love to know that history, but it doesn't exist, so we can't talk about it. So I'm going to keep my sorry. This is a no, no, that's fine. <laughs> Interestingly, like again, sort of on that same tangent, while we're just fucking bending the Catholic Church over and telling them to fucking take it, is that like it kind of makes you wonder how much more that like obviously this was still the responsibility of the Greeks. How much shit did we just lose when they burned everything down b- before the Dark Ages? I bet there some of that shit that we were, that we're curious about was there. Yeah, I'm sure it was. I'm, I'm sure it was. Yeah. Okay, where where was I? Sorry, I, I do I do think I do have a point here. I think that we have to question whether the dissolution of political capital involves losing power for the institution. And where I was going with the hist- history of Rome here is this: Rome is dead and gone, and yet 
you could not say that Rome does not still have power as an institution in modern Western existence, maybe even all existence, right? Like for, for this thing that Paul was going, going on right at the beginning, the idea that, I mean, it, it, it kind of forms the very cultural basis of much of Western society as we know it, whether you wanted that to be your cultural basis or it was forced upon you by a, col- a colonist who, who gave you no choice. It, 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 yeah, exactly. I mean, we have literal living examples of that experience in front of us, right? Like it's, it's there. Um, so then my question, so, so to answer your question about whether it is just as powerful, it has become more powerful and I'm going to do a thing here and we'll see if someone recognizes where it's from, but it is, it has become powerful in the same way that the state has become powerful by hiding the violence it does rather than putting it out there. When the state puts it, that's an episode out, of Seinfeld, right? I mean, <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> is, that, um, is that not what you were going for? It's it's a relatively prominent postmodernist writer who I do not always agree with, but who gives some useful analysis. He has a girl's name. Keep going. <laughs> he has a girl's <laughs> name. <laughs> anyway. Um, I, 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 and basically, when the state was murdering people on on like in the public square, its power was overt, Right. But in a sense, that's where its power ended, was the capacity to do violence. When the state started to hide its violence, started to scare you, started to coerce you, that is where its power ended, where you watched yourself. Simulacrum is true. So, so, then, so then the same thing can be said of the Catholic Church, I think, in answering your question about where power, whether or not it's still powerful as an institution. Yes, it's institutional power to physically exert its power, to give people the permission to do their particular political uh, thing, to, to run their empire, to establish their empire, whatever. Uh, that power is gone. But in the dissolution of that power, the, the power of the church has kind of faded into the background. It has become culture. And in becoming culture, it has gained a more significant bedrock than it ever could have imagined while being just an institution. Is in that a many fun ways that people talk about like America being the new Rome, so too the evangelical voting bloc in the U.S. is the new Catholic Church, which I think is, yeah, that, that makes sense to me. Yeah, I, think I think that all tracks. I think, I think you very succinctly uh, described and, and answered the, the question that, that Chloe and I both posed. I, yeah, I don't know. I, maybe they I, do. <laughs> I think that was certainly my question is, is, is with that dissolution of political capital, it does, does it, is it indicative of any sort of loss of, of power on the part of the church? And it is, and it isn't in terms of the, that sort of overt versus, versus hidden. And I think we can, we can really quickly, Paul, I think we can draw a line between that to, and the, the, as I mean, you guys were joking about it, but it's true. The kind of more PR, behavior of the church recently. I mean, at a certain point, if that's what you have become, if you have become a thing that is attempting to control culture, you got to do the culture thing. (laughs) And so it's a very clumsy attempt of this, I mean, ancient, ancient institution to to maneuver itself into the position of of a cultural creation mechanism to try and maintain its position of power, maybe. I was just going to say, yeah, I agree. That's kind of what I was going for. I would have never said it so well. So thank you, David. But the idea that this power won't die was kind of, yeah, why I was asking. And I was hoping someone could prove me wrong. 
No, it's, I mean, just true that like you, you can try to prove that it is not gravity that holds us to the earth, but as long as you're still yeah. standing, you know, on solid ground, it's pretty futile. Um, despite Paul very poorly communicating it. I don't know why I'm like, <laughs> okay, I'm like glaring at him in the, in the chat and like, no one's going to see my face when I do this. Um, it started with, with, with the Pope's kind of backpedaling on, on the church's stances on queer people. And what's really interesting about that whole fucking thing is that Deuteronomical law and various other sort of passages pertaining to the practices of homosexuality as it is taught in modern Christianity is, is a gross misinterpretation of, of the scripture and fundamentally anti-Christian insofar as Jesus himself was basically a hermeneuticist. The dude was like, the old books say this, but read a little more into it. Um, and really, the, the, the moratoria passed on, on homosexuality come from two places. First of all, anthropologically, if you're a small nomadic group wandering the desert, you gotta fuck. You gotta make more people to bolster your numbers. And secondly, it was primarily intended as a renunciation of such practices as pederasty, as well as uh, sort of ritual sex for the purpose of, of worshipping uh, heathen deities, right? And ironically enough, the same church that has said like, oh, we can't put our blessing upon same-sex unions is also the same church that is turning a blind eye to what is essentially fucking pederasty. I mean, yeah, they're obviously their moral authority, their moral authority is super compromised, but I think it does kind of tie back in, just kind of put a bow on it with the, what, what David had said about the dissolution of power and where that power goes, right? Like the reason why the Catholic church is currently backpedaling on being able to endorse same-sex unions is not because anyone in the papacy thinks that, although certainly they do, they are old assholes. But the reason why they're doing the backpedaling is because they recognize that as what is essentially now just a PR firm and a figurehead for a greater movement, they have to play the hits. And where that power we identified went to this kind of evangelical block are the same kind of people who want you to say that, you know, people who are not like you deserve to be oppressed and eventually die. And, the queers are always a favorite target because of their limited political capital while still being similar enough to you that you can feel that good cathartic satisfaction of doing violence to someone who looks like they could have been you if only you weren't so great and handsome and amazing you beautiful sexy christian as a beautiful sexy christian kind of not really anymore <laughs> i just want you to know that i will use my platform to fight tooth and fucking nail for you chloe that's great except for you using your platform as opposed to just platforming me actually is the whole problem you're right. That's fair. <laughs> no, you're no, you're a hundred percent correct. I just, I just wish more things could be just solved. Settle, I just set a little bombs theory throw at the end. I, I just wish more things could, could be solved by by brute force and fighting tooth and nail for my own platform. I just wish I could solve it all from where I'm standing. <laughs> well, I mean, that's kind of it is. It's ironic because it's it's the it is the progressive um, counterexample or allegory rather to what the Catholic Church is doing, right? Like. In the same way that you are offering to platform my position as an ally, so too the Catholic Church essentially, and what they're doing with this backpedaling on same-sex marriage is they are an ally of the evangelical conservative movements in countries like the United States and Britain, right? These, country, these nations that are very explicitly in their conservative political parties rhetoric, pushing back against abortion law, pushing back against the equality of the sexes and same-sex marriage, and pushing back especially against um, what I, I suppose you would have to call the fringes of the LGBTQIA movement in those countries, being trans, um, seeking hormone replacement therapy, or opposing or trying to illegalize conversion therapy. All of those are things the Catholic Church has done in the past and then tried to rebound themselves out of. 
Um, but now that they have recognized, as David said, that their power has begun to move to those groups, they are trying to be an ally to those groups by rolling it back, playing the hits on repeat and saying, yeah, no, this is actually, as we are this big PR firm, this is what we'll use our mouthpiece to advocate for, the things that those new conservative voters think in the same way that, you, that Catholics used to always do for them. So, always, really. so I was going to chime in. I know we've, we've been talking about it for a while, but JP, this was the last topic I was planning on getting to anyhow. Oh, there is a thing. Okay. Yeah, this is last thing we always talk about is like reforms or policy stuff. And it's like, what needs to change about the Catholic Church? And like wholesale abolition of all religion. Go. <laughs> but I remember I've always been like, I always had been like, especially when I was Catholic. There was always like bold new changes just on the horizon. Like maybe they are going to accept gay marriage into the church. And that's a long, old, old debate within the Catholic church. Like whether or not that's, that would be kosher or not. Because like far back, they recognized like agape is the end goal. And more or less they believed that like two men or two women could not have that together. Procreation, having kids was important, but it was second uh, place to the most holy thing possible. And that they were, there's been a lot of theological art, theologians within the Catholic church saying we should do this. There's been a lot of theologic uh, arguments within the church for saying we should have women as priests. Like, there are like some very small reforms, I'd say, that would make the Catholic Church palatable. One of the really effective things that Martin Luther was able to do in, this, in, the, in the inadvertent establishment of Lutheranism through the criticism of the Catholic Church is talk very strongly about like how intent behind actions ultimately is a better predictive guideline for what those actions will accomplish than the actions in a vacuum. There aren't things that just are good or are bad, but rather Luther argued that why you did those things helps weigh their moral value. Whether a thing is good cannot be done, a thing that is good cannot be done for bad reasons. You're saying that the Catholic Church for a long time, especially in your youth when, uh, just given your age, not to out you or anything, Paul, but this is when PC culture was first becoming popularized and when the idea of progressivism as like a trendy movement was really kind of coming into its own in like the Bill Clinton 90s, right? Of like, oh, our president can be cool now and we can do these things that traditionally were a little bit taboo. That was the era that you're talking about where the, the Catholic church was like, oh, we're finally gonna put in these reforms. And my response to that would be, the reason why they said those things was very clearly because the evangelical movements have gotten so much traction out of doing them, right? Lutheran churches have female pastors um, a lot of ecumenical church councils allow for female pastors and it has grown their religion massively because half of all people don't feel like you don't want them around, right? It's a very popular move and it helps establish your brand and it helps grow the religion in the same way that as JP was mentioning, it used to be very important to, um, or not JP, it might have been Paul as well. Um, it was very important to make sure that you always have kids. Um, it's very important to make sure that you're procreating. That's also a tactic to try and grow the religion. If you birth more Catholics, there will be more Catholics. That's why Catholics really like you to have a lot of kids and why 
contraception is considered against God's will because it's preventing more Catholics from coming into the world, which is great for your numbers, right? If you're doing these actions for these obviously bad faith reasons, you're not actually reforming the church. You're just making the church more effective. You're not changing the kind, you're changing the mechanism. And in that same way, it's political brinkmanship, saying that, oh, we're going to do all these reforms in the Catholic church is much like saying, Look, but like once Donald Trump finally gets Comey out of here, and then once after that, once, you know, the next scandal happens, this is the big one. This will finally make him start acting like a mainstream politician. It's brinkmanship because it makes people who oppose you placated, and it makes people who support you feel like you're secretly winning because you're becoming more mainstream. Ultimately, it's just a tool for gaining political capital. That's one analysis, certainly. Um. I think it's interesting that you say it's like for gaining political capital. And I definitely see that. I don't think I agree, but there's like, even on the, like you mentioned contraception, even within that, there's huge discussion within the Catholic church about reforming on their views of contraception. And a lot of progress has been made even within the church. The pill lost, but for a long time, the pill was, with the Catholic Church was totally okay because it, out of theological reasons, the intent wasn't to stop the children. The intent was to regulate hormones, which is okay. And with condoms, it's okay if one of you has a disease because the intent isn't to stop the creation of children. The intent is to prevent disease. So it's weird, but it's progress and it's different, but the church just doesn't seem to outright embrace things like contraception embrace things like women in leadership roles well i, I think i think one one thing of note is that we, we've been analyzing this largely from the position of, of ourselves as as americans that uh the, the majority of actions taken by any institution are and granted paul you did you did point out that sort of the earliest uh foundations of capitalism lie in the sort of shaping of western civilization by the catholic church but all the same um, as, as, as capitalism, as, as a, uh, both a, a school of thought in economics, as well as a phenomenon in culture has evolved. So too is the Catholic church. And so speaking to it from, from modern capitalism, um, I'm not sure is entirely the, the most fair evaluation, though I do understand that assessment. And I do think it is valid, um, for, uh, very, you know, for, in, in large order, um, at least in those countries where the Catholic Church is functioning within, within a capitalist society. And I think really like the upshot of this that I'm hearing is, is that the Catholic Church is an enormous organization and that indeed spirituality and religion are deeply personal and they're unique, that everyone's, everyone's spiritual journey is different, your faith or even your lack thereof and the way that you take those understandings and apply them to a sense of connectedness with the world around you and things sort of uh, above and beyond are our most basic perceptions, that's unique. So it stands to reason then that there are differences in between individual practitioners and even between uh, individual congregations. So I think that the church as an institution must necessarily grow and change with its um, congregants over time and, and its a matter of everyone's own sort of spiritual journey and progression toward something. And, and so one of two things is going to happen here, right? 
People in their individual spiritual journey will find that belonging to a specific institution is an impediment to their spiritual growth and they will leave it behind. Or they will be able to use the institution and its doctrines and its dogma as a vehicle that enhances and enriches their spiritual growth in a direction such that they will enact change within the institution itself in an actually meaningful way. Okay, well, we have a long-standing tradition on this this podcast, goes back years, that the guest gets the last word, but for once we actually have two guests. Uh, but JP, you've been on the show before, so I'm going to call David more of a guest, uh, nearly arbitrarily, and we're going to give David the last word. No one will disagree with you. Heresy absurd claims hot takes whatever you want to say the last word is yours mm. bonus points if there's like some sort of weird illuminati vatican conspiracy included <laughs> uh see i i try to be careful about those most of them most of them are anti-semitic um, <laughs> um, okay so i think i think a good place to end it is with the is reformation possible because i think it kind of does harken back to the original the, the origin of the conversation, which is what is what is the institution of the Catholic Church to begin with? What role does it play um, in in modern life um, in relationship to its past? And I think there is a very real question about whether or not Reformation is possible within the boundaries of remaining what you originally were. Um, what is this? This is the the philosophical problem. Theseus' ship, I think, um, just to give it like it, its its origin point. Like, if you replace every board on the ship, is it the same ship? Except it's going a little further. It's like if you take the ship out of the water and you put it in dry dock and you replace every board with metal, and suddenly it has a steam engine, and now is it the same ship? Um, and it's like okay, at a certain point, if you change enough of the fundamental tenets of what the institution was is it's the same institution. And going back to what Chloe and JP just said, I do question whether or not the things that we are talking about them changing can be changed without the institution losing um, the fundamental nature that made it what it was to begin with. Uh, for example, can you say that the institution of the church should grow and change with its congregants and say that the church is a institution unto itself, rather than saying that it's just a reflection of the people within it. In other words, is the church a thing or is the church just, you know, reflecting the opinions of the people within it? Is morality a thing that is actually given from God? Or since the church seems to sway in what its moral claims are based upon, you know, what percentage of its congregants agree with those claims, um, is the church nothing more or less than a rubber stamp on the collective opinion of society that's changing slowly over the course of time. Um, I'm not sure what the answer to that is, but I do think that we're starting to get so far away from the origins of what any church was when we get to the point that we argue that church doctrine should be reflective of its people rather than the other way around, um, that we do have to end with a serious question as to whether or not the Catholic church or any church for that matter, once it reaches that level of change, is actually the institution it claims to be. Thank you very much, David. Thank you, JP and Chloe, for joining us again today. This has been Conflict Theory. You're very special, and I love you.
Fuck you for saying that. <laughs>